0: look forward to next week when pastor Seth is back. <laughs> hey, so this 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 last month I was doing a study on the on the 12 disciples and it was really interesting to me just to go through and look really in depth cuz I I think that we have a pretty good understanding of some of them. You know, you, you got you got Paul and you got John, you know, Ma- Matthew, Matthew wrote a gospel too, but there's kind of those ones that that aren't mentioned too often. It's really interesting to me. I, I, was, I was studying on them, and one guy stuck out in particular to me, and that's that's Andrew. Andrew was Peter's brother. And it was really interesting just to see kind of how he fit in and what he did. The few times he's mentioned, he's just mentioned a very small handful of times in the Gospels and, and in Acts. And it's it's really interesting just to see how he he's kind of that background guy, and yet he... He did so much, but I want to start off with a story. So when I was in the military, I I was airborne infantry. It's long hours. It's not a lot of uh, downtime, not a lot of relaxing time, and so me and a couple of my buddies, we decided we wanted a hobby. We needed a hobby. We needed something to kind of get, get away from the barracks, have something to do on weekends, just for our own sanity. And I was stationed in North Carolina. If you've never seen North Carolina, it's gorgeous. I mean, the, the, probably the prettiest woods in all of the US is in North Carolina. And so we decided we were gonna take up backpacking. And we were young and we had that military money and, and George Bush was in the White House, so he was paying us well. And we, we, did, we, we did it right. Like, we, we, we researched, we subscribed to magazines and we got all this equipment, and, and one, one of my friends in particular, his name was John, and John just went crazy, like dropping hundreds of dollars on a backpack, hundreds of dollars on a tent. He spent thousands. He he was more into it than, than the rest of us were. And John was always planning these big these big trips. He he'd read through the magazine. He subscribed to like three different outdoor magazines, and and he was always saying, "Man, I'm going to go uh, over over our break. You know, I'm I'm going to go I'm going to go climb." Uh, mount rainier i'm, I'm gonna go and, and do k2 i'm gonna fly to nepal and, and climb everest and we're like that's cool good for you we're gonna go backpacking this weekend you want to go with us just just down the road and he's like no, no no i can't go this weekend every week every, every weekend we'd get away and every weekend john would be like i can't but man I, I got this plan this is gonna be great and so as, as we went out and we, we started using our equipment, started getting beat up and dusty, and John's just continued to look pristine and new. He continued to get more nice equipment, but he never used it. We're like, John, just, just go with us. Like, you've, you've got this grandiose plan of what to do. Just, just go with us. Like, we found the coolest spot in North Carolina where there's this river. And and North Carolina, there's, there's a big section where the, the mountains are just granite. And so there's this river about two feet deep. And rather than being rocky at the bottom of the river, it was all granite and it had a little bit of moss on it. And you could ride it like a water slide. Like it was it was cool. And we'd go and do that. And John stayed home. John, John always had big plans, but he never actually went through with them. And there's nothing wrong with planning for greatness. There's nothing wrong with having lofty goals, with having big dreams. There's nothing wrong with that. But we don't want to miss out on opportunities. And I, th- I think we're wired that way. How many people in here have ever like decided... I'm going to do this. And then you spend a lot of money on it. And then a couple of years later, you're like, oh, I never used that. Right? Anyone? Anyone? Come on. Anybody ever go to a gym? Yeah. Yeah, I, I've got, like, really nice gym clothes, and I'm well-dressed when I mow the lawn now. But... But we read the Bible and we see these awesome moments. We we see Moses boldly standing before Pharaoh. He's he's going and parting the Red Sea. We see Elijah calling down fire on the prophets of Baal. We see Peter, the day of Pentecost, stand before thousands and lead three thousand people to Christ. We're like, that's great. And it, that's all it ever becomes: is lofty goals. We we tell ourselves, well, I'm I'm not that person. I. I can't, I can't stand before 3,000 people. I can't go and boldly proclaim Christ. I'm, I'm not that person. But 1 Corinthians one twenty seven says this. It says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So today, we're, we're going to look at the Apostle Andrew and, and look at what it means, significance, significant insignificance. And, and what does that mean? First, let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to get together. Lord, I thank you that we get to just dive into your word, that you would give us your word, that we can look at it, that we can know you, that we can just gather hope from it, that we can, everything we need, Lord, is put down in your word. And I just thank you for the, that, that. those amazing men, Lord. I thank you for people like Andrew that just changed the world. And Lord, I pray that today as we look at Andrew, Lord, that you will just stir something in our hearts that you'll just help us to step out and proclaim you and just relish in the small things, Father. We thank you and you praise you. Your name. Amen. Okay. So now now that I've mentioned Andrew, anyone want to take a guess? Who is the first disciple? Anyone? Come on, I, I'm, I'm a youth pastor, so I, I make them talk back to me. Who was the first disciple, first person to follow Christ? Andrew, there we go. Whoever said that, 10 points. Yes, there's a point system. But but Andrew, if you actually read the Gospel of John, you see that Andrew, Andrew was, was a really interesting guy because John the Baptist, he's out in the wilderness, he's doing his thing, and you see John the Baptist, he, he's out, and then Jesus comes on the scene. John the Baptist says, look, here he is. Here's the man we've been waiting for, and two disciples of John the Baptist, go and follow Christ. And that was, one of them was Andrew. And that's where we'll pick up in, in John John 1, verse 35 through 42, and it says this. It says, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. This is, this is John, John the Baptist out baptizing people in, in the middle of nowhere, and people were flocking, and people were excited about what was going on. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God, when the dis- two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now, I don't think John the Baptist was offended by this. I, I think John the Baptist, this is proof that he was doing what he was supposed to be doing, that he was, he was that voice in the wilderness preparing the way for the Lord because he says, Look, the Lamb of God, and instantly these two disciples go and go and follow Jesus instead. Turning around, Jesus saw them following. and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So so here they are. They, they see Jesus, and they're just kind of following along, and Jesus says, what do you guys want? You say, we where are you staying man we, we just want to we want to be close to you we want to connect with you and jesus invites them in and 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 just just fellowships with him for that whole day and i love andrew's response to this because andrew andrew doesn't go and like run down the streets proclaiming he he doesn't go and preach in front of thousands and be like i have found the messiah it is jesus but we see what he does where it says it says the first thing i want to say first thing The first thing, everyone say first thing. thing. There we go, I'm going to get you guys talking. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The first thing we see from Andrew is that there is value in one. There's value in one that we look at the number one. and We say one is small two is better If I can have one of something, I'd rather have two of something We we look at the bible. You see peter preaching to three thousand people You're like well three thousand is way better than one, right? But andrew you'll see this time and time again Andrew is just a one-on-one guy Andrew isn't a stand in front and proclaim. He he's a relationship guy. He's a Hey Come along with me, one-on-one guy. And he goes, the first thing he does, he meets the Messiah. He meets Emmanuel, God among us. And he goes and he gets his brother and he says, we found him. He's here, come meet him. And I think that Andrew grew up with Peter. He probably knows Peter's personality. If you look at it, Peter is a dominating personality. Peter is not a behind-the-scenes guy. Peter is a, hey, let's do this. Peter was quick to speak and slow to think. Anyone relate to that? Yes, amen, yes, amen. I see that hand, yeah. Peter was, w- was, was impetuous. He was quick to do something, and Andrew had to know that. And Andrew could have said, well, n- well now wait a minute. I'm the first. I'm the, I'm the first to follow, and I, I, I want to foster this relationship. I want to get close to Jesus. If I, if I tell Peter, Peter's going to swoop in, and he's just going gonna to steal all that glory. He's, he's just going to come in and take over and dominate. But instead Andrew just goes and he tells Peter, he tells his brother, we have found the Messiah. And sure enough, you see that Peter goes and he meets Christ and Christ instantly says, you'll be called Cephas, you'll be called Peter, you are will be called Rock. There's value in one. So, so often we think that that in, in order to do church right, it, that what we should be doing, we, we should be throwing these grand programs. Man, church church is what it's about. The, these big settings where lots of people are together, the bigger the church, the better. And there again, nothing wrong with that. I praise God that there are huge churches out there. Praise God that we can gather together in these big settings. But don't miss out on the importance of one. You, you see this in, in Luke 15. All of Luke 15 is just... Three different parables basically saying the same thing. You, you've got the parable of the lost sheep. You've got the parable of the lost coin. You've got the parable of the prodigal son. And Jesus is saying there's value in that one, that one-on-one relationship. So often we focus on big numbers, the church setting. We say, well, I could never, I could never stand in front of people and preach. I could never leave, lead worship. I could never be a big events person. And so that person is more valuable than me. But let me ask you something. Just think about this. How many of you guys are here today because of a one-on-one relationship with someone? How many of you guys are sitting in a seat today not because you heard some awesome sermon, not because you were part of this great worship service, but simply because you had that one-on-one relationship where that person said, Hey, come see what I got. Come meet my Savior. Because really that's 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 the power of the church that's the power of the church pastors and and worship leaders we're we're here to equip but really you guys you guys are where it's at you guys are the evangelists you guys are the people on the ground there is value in one value those one-on-one relationships don't think that just because you're not a get in front of people you're not the most dynamic personality that's okay I bet at least all of you have one friend. I bet at least all of you have one relationship. You've got that, you know that neighbor. You've got that family member. Maybe you've got that kid. Just foster that one relationship. Significant insignificance sees value in one. Where the world tells us that that one is not good enough, Christ says the opposite. Christ says, man, when one comes comes to me, all of heaven rejoices. See value in one. Be like Andrew. Be be that relationship person. Second thing, Andrew ignored shortcomings. Andrew ignored shortcomings. I'm not saying ignored his shortcomings. He ignored just shortcomings in general. We we see this. You guys know the story of Jesus feeding the five thousand, right? He he's he's on the shore. He's got this big crowd, and it's, it's getting towards the towards. Towards dinner time, you know, pe- people's stomachs are starting to rumble. And Jesus turns to Philip and he says, Hey Philip, let's get some food for these guys. Let, let's, let's get this figured out. And Philip, Philip answers him. We'll we'll pick up there in, in John 6, verse 7. It says, Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread. For each to have one bite and if you read again if you if you kind of study the disciples i think philip was a numbers guy philip was a was a logic guy and he was like like he counted heads and he's like we need x amount of money and we don't have it what are we supposed to do what are we supposed to do and honestly did jesus need that food to feed people no if jesus can bring someone back to life jesus can make a loaf of bread appear right but Jesus was Jesus was testing us John testing them John tells us that Jesus was was testing Philip Another of his disciples Andrew Simon Peter's brother spoke up so here's Andrew and Andrew says well we got this spoke up here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish but how far will they go among so many so a- Andrew Andrew's not afraid. I love Andrew. Andrew's not afraid to speak up. And it's interesting to me that so often, when all the other disciples, when they're singled out, think about Peter when, when it's it's not the group of disciples where you see just Peter acting, where you see just, just Philip acting, or, or Thomas or those disciples, typically it's something where they're doing something boneheaded. And you're like, come on, guys. But but not Andrew. Typically, when you see Andrew speak up, Andrew was was thoughtful. He says, well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, which I don't know what that kid was planning on making, but that's not really a meal. Like, his parents need to throw some tartar sauce in or something. But here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Andrew ignored the shortcomings. He didn't look at the crowd. He saw a boy with a sack lunch. He said, we got this. What about this? How far will it go among so many? Let's, Jesus, we got this. What can you do with it? ignore shortcomings we we convince ourselves that we can't really make a difference i'm just one person we can't make a difference i you know i i'm not i'm not the most well-liked person i'm not funny i'm not charismatic my personal hygiene is of a lesser standard like i can't i can't really i can't really do that like i'm not as talented as this guy well, you know what Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.10? He says this. He says, for we... Everyone say we. we. Turn to your neighbor and say we. we. You guys understand who we're talking about now? We. That, that's each and every one of you. For we are God's handiwork. And sometimes this is translated as masterpiece. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works. I was really hoping that was on the screen. Yes. To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do it's not an accident that you're here today it's not an accident that you have the job that you have that you live in the house that you live in that you have the family that you have that you're surrounded by people that you have a you have the car that you have that you have the possessions you have it's not an accident god knows what he's doing he's pretty good at what he does we are god's handiwork creating christ jesus do good works which god prepared in advance god has already prepared it we just have to be willing to say, "Hey, well, here's this. what can you do with this- maybe we maybe we think, well you know i'm I'm not the richest person, and so when i when I tithe, what difference is this little bit of money going to make And with you, none, but with God, God could change the world with just a little bit you you say well i'm I'm not." I'm not good at talking to people. I'm not outgoing. That's not me. God says, no, 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 no. I already planned for this. I've already got you placed where you need to be placed. You just need to ignore your shortcomings. God is. If God focused on our shortcomings, he never would have sent his son down to die for us. God's ignoring your shortcomings. Be like God. (laughs) Ignore your shortcomings. You are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You weren't created to be a nobody. You weren't created to just sit back, come on church, come to church once a week. You were created to do good works, to do great things, to be world changers. You look at the disciples, it's amazing. They weren't 12 like-minded individuals. They were as different as different can be. You have a tax collector And you have a zealot. You have a zealot who hated tax collectors. Zealot, they they were this this radical political party. Today we would call them terrorists. (laughs) And Simon the Zealot, to be a zealot, one of the greatest things you could do was to kill a Roman centurion. The only person better than that was to kill a tax collector. tax collector was a sellout. He sold out his people. And you've got Matthew and you've got Simon the Zealot and in Christ they come together. You were prepared in advance to do great things. God knows how you are. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. Ignore your shortcomings. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Philip looked at the crowd. Andrew looked at what they had. And most of us we know how that story ends. As God says, Sit them down, groups of 50, everyone's going to get some food today. Jesus took that little bit and turned it into way too much. <laughs> Ignore shortcomings. See the value in one. Ignore shortcomings. And finally, to find significance in insignificance, you have to be bold. You have to be bold. No casual christianity no no i'm a fan of of christ no we are called to be followers of christ and this this last this last story of andrew it's easy to miss but watch what's going on here this is this is john chapter 12 starting verse 20 it says now there were some greeks among those who went to worship at the festival they came to philip who was from bethsaida in, in galilee with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And this kind of makes sense when you when you look, know a little bit more about Philip. I feel like we're picking on Philip a lot today, but he he was a world changer too. Don't miss out on that. But Philip, he's he's the only disciple that goes by his Greek name. The rest all had good Hebrew names. Philip is a Greek name. That 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 tells us that he more than likely his family was they were what referred to as Hellenistic Jews. They, they, they grew up in Jew, Jewish culture because, again, you see Philip. Philip was a studier of the word. He, he knew who Christ was and, and what Christ was about. But he goes by Philip. So more than likely, he, he spoke Greek. He, he, he came off as more Greek. I don't know how that happens. But, but came off as more Greek than the rest of the disciples. And so these these Greeks... These outsiders, these non-Jews. Now, there are some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, sure, they said, we would like to see Jesus. This is towards the end of Jesus' ministry. Philip has now spent a significant amount of time with Christ. And Philip does something interesting. These people want to come and meet Christ. And if you read the Gospels, Christ doesn't come off as somebody who doesn't want to meet people. Christ is all about meeting people. Christ is all about that connection with people. Philip went to tell Andrew. Don't miss out on that. Philip went to tell Andrew. I think Philip was, was again, he was a very, very, he he was a counter. He was more logical. He said, well, what's what's the proper way to introduce people to Jesus? I'm I'm not sure if I can do this. And so he goes to Andrew. Because he knows Andrew, Andrew's bold. Andrew's a, Andrew's a people person. If anyone has, has the, the courage to introduce, that's what Andrew's all about, is just introducing people to Christ. And so Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew in turn, Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. These Greeks come up to Philip and they say, we want to meet the Messiah. And Philip says, uh, let me go check with this guy real quick. He goes to Andrew, and Andrew's like, yeah, come on. Come meet Jesus. Hey, Jesus, this is whomever. Whomever, this is Jesus. Andrew was bold. We we look at this, and we see that, that yes, there is meekness in Andrew's personality, but Andrew was bold. Andrew was a fisherman, and to be a fisherman in Galilee back then, it's not a, you know, cast out a line. It's throwing nets, and those nets are heavy. Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a weirdo. Like, go and read about it. He lived out in the middle of nowhere. He ate bugs. He wore itchy clothes. He didn't live a lifestyle of comfort. And when we first meet Andrew, he's following John the Baptist. John the ba- Andrew's not just some, some little little weenie guy. He is bold. He's a tough, rugged man. But even more than that, he's bold. And instead of worrying about what's the proper protocol what, what do I need to do? Andrew realized the most important thing to do in that moment was somebody wants to meet Christ, let's introduce you. Do we ever fall into that trap? We feel that nudging? Holy Spirit says, hey, go, go talk to that guy. Go, go talk to her. Go, go tell this person. Go connect with this person. We're like, eh, I don't remember what Romans 10.9 says. I, I don't. I know. What's the proper protocol? What happens if I say the wrong thing? Am I allowed to talk to this person? Be bold. We got to be bold. At some point, we got to step out of our comfort zone. Because God doesn't operate in our comfort zone. If, if you if you seek out comfort, you're not seeking out Christ. Christ has called us to be bold. The the journey of following christ it's fun it's exciting but fun and excitement doesn't happen in our comfort zone my comfort zone is my couch and it's comfortable and i like it and amen i see that hand but i'll tell you what it's not exciting exciting is getting out and doing stuff there's times where i come home from work and my beautiful little girls come up and like daddy can we go to the park daddy can we go and do this and i'm tired i just want to go to my comfort zone i just want to go sit on the couch But they're so pretty, and I'm not good at saying no to them. And so we go out and do it, and about an hour later, I'm like, man, I'm glad I did this. Man, I'm so glad I didn't miss out on this. How many of us have become comfortable with our routine? How many of us have become comfortable with coming to church on Sunday? And we're good with that, and that's a good thing. I'm I'm not bashing church. Don't stop coming to church. Don't don't give up, don't become in the habit of not meeting together as, as some have done. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is God created us to do awesome stuff, and God has got something fun planned for you. And God's ideas of fun is not the world's idea of fun. Again, 1 Corinthians But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the wise the strong. God wants to take the world's definitions and turn them on their head. God wants to take what the world glorifies, because it ain't God, and he's going to say, no, we're going to stand out. We're going to do something awesome. Be bold. Those relationships you have, that one-on-one time, be bold. Stand out. It's it's always a little, a little dicey to get caught up in um, Kind of just just life after, after the Bible for the disciples. But, but what's interesting is you you only see in in Acts you only see you only have an accounting of one disciple who died, and that's James. The rest we're not too sure of. But it is interesting to me that that Christian history, they all pretty much agree that that Andrew was crucified. That he was crucified because he led a Roman prefect, a Roman governor. He led his wife to Christ, and this Roman governor was furious and went to his wife and said, you renounce Christ now, and she said, no, I can't. And because of that, because of that one-on-one relationship, because of Andrew's boldness, he was crucified. And he was crucified. This, this prefect wanted him to suffer. And so if you ever see, see pictures of, of Andrew being crucified or read historical accountings, he wasn't nailed to the cross. He was tied to the cross, which sounds better, but it took longer. You go from taking hours to die to days. And the historical records you see of Andrew's death is as he was tied to that cross for days, dying that slow, agonizing death. He took that time to tell people about Christ. He'd single out people as they walked by and proclaim Christ to them. Be bold. For the Spirit of God, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self discipline. That's 2 Timothy 1 7. I'll read that again. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self discipline. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you have that Spirit of God. And we can convince ourselves that we are timid, we can convince ourselves that we are weak. We can convince ourselves that we are incapable. But it's not about us. It's not about what we can accomplish. That spirit God gave us can change the world. I'll end with this. Anyone ever heard of Hugo Dyson? He's not the vacuum guy. Hugo Dyson, anyone? Zero hands. Hugo Dyson he was a professor, and he was part of a literary group where they'd meet together, all these writers, and they, they, they would just talk about all things literature. They'd share parts of their story. Hugo Dyson, he, he valued literature. He valued writing books, but he never really was well-published, never really had a bestseller. None of you know who Hugo Dyson is. Let me ask you this. J.R.R. Tolkien, anyone ever heard of him? Come on, raise hands. Let's see, yes. J.R.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings. Anyone ever heard of that? Every hand should go up. J.R.R. Tolkien was also a part of that literary group. And him and Hugo Dyson were friends, and they were friends with one other individual in that group, a man by the name of C.S. Lewis. Anyone ever heard of him? Chronicles of Narnia, anyone? Yeah. Hugo Dyson had a massive influence on C.S. Lewis. Hugo Dyson was a bold Christian. He was somebody who had that relationship with C.S. Lewis. And Hugo Dyson, he wasn't worried that he wasn't as good a writer as everybody else in there. He simply just shared Christ with his buddy, C.S. Lewis. Hugo Dyson never published any great literary works. He's not really well known. His Wikipedia page is really short. C.S. Lewis, can you imagine being Hugo Dyson during World War II and turning on the radio and here's C.S. Lewis proclaiming Christ? If you've ever heard of the book, Mere Christianity, it's upheld as one of the greatest theological works ever. And C.S. Lewis didn't actually write it. It was actually during World War II when England was was just hopeless. When they see evil just sweeping over Europe, C.S. Lewis got on the radio and proclaimed Christ and people ate it up. They needed to hear about that hope in Christ. And his, his radio broadcasts eventually were, were written down and became mere Christianity. Can you imagine Hugo Dyson seeing the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe? One of the greatest analogies for what Christ did, flying off bookshelves. I can't imagine that Hugo Dyson was like, oh, why can't I be like that? No. Because without Hugo Dyson you wouldn't have C.S. Lewis. Because of one man who is willing to be behind the scenes, one man who is willing to let someone else go to the forefront, simply just wanted to proclaim Christ. Didn't want to bolster his book sales, he just wanted to proclaim Christ. C.S. Lewis changed the world, but Hugo Dyson changed C.S. Lewis. I I talked about in the Bible, you see Peter preaching in front of 3,000 people. After Pentecost, Peter's just unstoppable. I, I, I love the concept in the Bible of, of just imagine you're a Pharisee for a second, and you, you murder Christ, you, you, you crucify him, and you're like, okay, that's done with. And then 50 days later, all of a sudden, you don't have one person that's a problem. You have a whole group of them. You're like, come on. This dude just led 3,000 people to Christ? we got to kill him too? And Peter stands up and boldly proclaims Christ. Leads 3,000 people to Christ. Imagine being Andrew. Imagine standing back and seeing your brother doing that, knowing that you had a small part in that. I'm not saying it's it's our job to save people. That's Christ's job. I'm not saying it's, it's our job to con, convince people Look. God's Word tells us the Holy Spirit. But you know what? We have those relationships for a reason. We have those connections. Let's use them. Stop looking at what other people are doing, and let's look at what we can do. Think, think small. Think big. That's okay. But don't miss out on the small things. Don't miss out on those little one-on-one relationships. Because God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Do you guys want to change the world? Do you guys want to bring shame to the evil of the world? Do you guys want to help people just to see how broken, how awful our world is, and how great God is? Do you want to be a part of bringing that faith and that hope and that love to the world? You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to have any awesome spiritual gifts. You just have to have exactly what you have now. Because God created you for a reason. He knows what you're capable of. And it's good things. Let's pray. Father God, we we come before you this morning, Lord. And we just, first off, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you. That you look at us and you see a masterpiece, Lord. You you see your greatest creation in us, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you didn't create us just to be nobodies. You didn't create us just to sit on the sidelines, but you equipped us and you created us to go out and be world changers, Lord. And I pray that right now that each and every person in here, Lord, that you would just put one name in their mind. That you would just help them to just see that one face. Lord, that you would give them that boldness, Lord, that they would just ignore that voice that tells them what they're incapable of, and they would listen to what you are capable of, Father. Lord, I pray that we, we wouldn't be armchair Christians, that we wouldn't be comfortable with comfort. Lord, I pray that we would seek you out in everything we do do, Lord, in, in word, in action in deed, Father. I, I pray that we would just seek you out in all things that, Lord, you would just give us that attitude of Andrew that just says, one person for now is good enough. Lord, that, that when we have that opportunity, we wouldn't let it pass by, but that we would just do everything we can to introduce that person to you, Father. Lord, I thank you for your son. I thank you for that incredible gift of him coming down and dying on the cross for us, Lord. I pray that we would never take that for granted and that we would always just appreciate it the way that it should be appreciated, Father. Lord, I pray that we would just become antsy, that we'd become just so uncomfortable with the thought of not telling people about your goodness and your grace and your love, Father. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us that we would just embrace what we we were created to do, what you've called us to do, Father, that we would just get rid of the excuses that we wouldn't listen to our shortcomings, Father, but that we would just go out and be bold and change the world because we are, all of us, capable of doing it, Father. Lord, I thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. I thank you for your son, Jesus. In your name I pray, Amen. amen. Love you guys. We will see you next week.